Well, it's great to see you this morning. My name's Jacinda. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here at Coast Vineyard. And uh, today's a great day to be here. If this is your first time, you have picked a fabulous time to come. Perhaps I will just be anchored to this lectern. I'll just keep pacing. Peter, work it out. It's a great day to come because we've just started the series on relationships. The series that we're calling Being Better Friends. Now, it's not just about our friendships, but we recognise that actually friendship is sort of the basis for most of our relationships as we go through life. And so we want to get better and better at this because relationships are so core and so key to us and we want vital, great relationships, but we also recognise that they're actually not so easy to build. They can be complicated because people are complicated. Some of us have had great examples when we were young. We had fantastic families that we came from. We learnt some great relational skills there. For others of us, that hasn't been the case, and we've sort of just had to figure this thing out as we go. But the reality is that for all of us, we've been looking for cues and clues about how do we do relationships well? How do we have great relationships in our lives? And we look at our family and we look at our friends and we watch films and we look at the culture around us and we read the books. I mean, how many books have there been written on relationships? I mean, we could fill rooms floor to ceiling with books, couldn't we? But even with all that information, we are, at the end of the day, each one of us left with the reality of trying to figure out the complexity of doing life well with the people that are in our lives. And it's just not that straightforward. Uh, I was reading uh, from a podcast post that was done in April earlier this year, a guy called Anthony Moore, and he said this, if you have great relationships, there's virtually nothing that can defeat you or even discourage you. As Frank Kane, the author, once wrote, having a close friend doubles every joy and halves every defeat. That's the power of relationships, of great relationships. We have that potential to double the joy in each other's lives and to help halve the defeats or the difficult things. However, he goes on to say, but if most of your relationships are shallow and superficial, it doesn't matter if you have the most successful life imaginable, everything still rings hollow if there's no one to celebrate it with. Lots of mmms in the room. We know this to be true, don't we? We could have all the stuff in the world. It just isn't going to mean anything at the end of the day if we haven't got the people. You know, there's a recent study uh, by the National Science Foundation in America. They asked 1,500 people how many friends that they had that they could talk with about their personal troubles or triumphs. A bit like uh, Caitlin was talking about how she had that friend she could talk to the other day. One in four said that they had no one to talk to. One in four. If you take away family members, that doubles. So 50% of that group of people said they had no one they could talk to about the big things in life. Two-thirds of Americans say that they've lost more than 90% of their friends that they had 10 years ago. And many Americans only claim that they have two close friends, maybe less. How is that even possible? How does that happen in this period of history that we're in when we are the most connected, we have the potential to be the most connected people ever? We have the internet. We have cheap travel. We have easy communication. We have social media. We have all these tools that really should enhance our ability to connect with one another, and yet that's not our lived reality. 
I know we're not America, I know that. However, we are not too dissimilar here in New Zealand. And you know, we've, if we've got all these tools that should kind of make it easier con to connect, we would think that we'd be better at it. Apparently that doesn't correlate. It doesn't, it's just not a, it just doesn't work that way. You know, earlier this year in the UK, there was a parliamentary position created called the Minister of Loneliness. It's a government position. Because loneliness now, they estimate, affects nine million people in their country and it is considered a public health problem. That's how significant relationships and the lack of them are to us as human beings. We are made for relationship. And if we don't have great relationships, we don't do well. It affects so much of our lives. And yet, you know, and we know we might not be America, we might not be the UK, but we are human. And we share this common humanity with our com comrades in other parts of the world, you know, and it's this global, you know, dynamic that we have now. So we're not exempt from this. We long for great relationships. None of us go into a friendship thinking, yeah, I just sort of want to have an average kind of a friendship. You know, we don't start dating thinking, I think a mediocre kind of dating relationship would be what I'd be aiming for. As parents, we sure as heck don't do that, do we? We want to be the best parents we can be. We want to be the best spouse we can be. Really, we want to be the best friend we can be. We want relationships that are going to be robust, that are going to be open, that are engaged, that can actually do all of life together. Isn't that what we long for? Oh, it's just me. I want relationships that actually look for the best in each other, that call out life into each other, that can actually be truthful, that can be honest, that can be real, and that can talk about even the hard things. That's the kind of relationships that we are made for and that we long for, but that can often just feel so complicated or fraught or tenuous. So this series is going to help us explore how we can get better at this. How do we have those great relationships that we long for? So hang in there. This is worth coming every week for the next few weeks, just so that we can actually have time to unpack this together. So that we, not just as individuals, but us as a community, can actually become great friends. That we can become good at this stuff. You know, Matt, last week, he, looked, he sort of laid that foundation for all great relationships, which is, it must be love. Love is the thing, that's the foundation. And today, we're going to start to unpack that and look at some of the keys that we can actually put into practice so that we can have the kinds of relationships that we long for, you know, places to start to kind of give our attention to. But before we jump in, why don't we just pray together? So Lord, I just want to thank you that you have made us for relationship. I thank you that you've actually put this within each one of us, whether we're introverts or extroverts, whether we want lots of people or just a few, but Lord, would you just come and meet with each of us? Would you speak to us, Lord, about what it is that will, for each one of us that will help us to move towards greater health in our relationships? All our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, our workplace friendships, our parenting, our relationships with our parents, with our kids. Lord, do whatever it is that needs to be done in each of us, Lord, I pray, so that we can be great friends, that we can be better friends. 
So we invite your spirit to continue to be with us, to work within us, to give, open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, that we'd be open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You should never close your eyes when you're praying and you've got a lectern right next to you. <laughs> it's like one step from banging into that thing. All right, so I am going to let you in on a very key relational insight that you may never have thought of before. could just change your lives. You may have noticed that we take ourselves into every relationship. It's profound. That right there. That's noteworthy, actually. We take ourselves into every relationship we have. That could be good and not so good. We're a bit of a mixed bag, aren't we? You know, we're the common denominator to all our relationships. And... Uh, we have to, if we're going to be honest, say that each one of us is in process. We've all got stuff that is great about who we are, that we're strong in, that we're really good at relationally. And then we also have the parts of us that are more broken and bruised or even hidden from us that come in and actually affect the way we do relationships. We, have, we don't start out that way. We start out as babies. You look at babies. They don't have fear. They don't distrust anybody. They don't withhold themselves to protect themselves. We learn that. All of us in our lives have been hurt, we've been missed out, we've been rejected. You know, we've all learnt to not trust, we've all learnt fear, we've all learnt those sorts of things because of the different situations we've encountered. And then there's just the parts of us that are part of being human. Broken humanity means that we wrestle with things like anger, with jealousy, with comparison, where we compare ourselves to other people all the time. And those things often are not out here, they're in here. They're hidden. But they always overflow into our relationships. And those are the kinds of things that sabotage them. They get in the way. So the first key for us and why it's so important for us to remember that we take ourselves everywhere we go is that if we want healthy relationships, we need to get healthy. That's, the, that's our starting point. We ourselves need to get healthy. We need to deal with our stuff. We all have stuff. None of us is exempt. I wish that it was different, but it's not. This is just how it is. It's the human condition. We all have stuff. You know, uh, just on Friday, I was at a workshop. I'm, I'm doing some training as a spiritual director, and one of our lecturers lectures at Laidlaw College, and, uh, and he teaches uh, spiritual formation. And he talks to his students, and he said, if you want to grow in your spiritual maturity, you begin and you never leave from this place of being honest. Honesty is like the starting point that we never ever depart from actually in our relationship with God. It's just getting honest, it's getting real. You know, we never get beyond it. Doesn't matter how long we've been doing life or how long we've been following the Lord, we just have to get honest. That's the only way that we can actually face and deal with our stuff. Psalm 51 verse six says this. What, this is talking about what God's looking for. What you're after, God, is truth from the inside out. So enter me then. Conceive a new, true life. That's what God's after. And 
probably, if we drill down deep enough, it's probably what we're quite like. We don't have to pretend anymore. We don't have to hide anything. But that's scary as well. You know, our culture today actually embraces this whole thing of being truthful. One of the highest values within our culture is authenticity, isn't it? Like we all hear, you know, just want to be authentic, want to be true to myself, you know? That stuff that we hear rattled around the place. However, our lived reality is quite different. We live in the world of social media. We have Facebook and we have Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. And I'll tell you what, there's not a lot of reality going on there. We have this curated, cultivated life that we're putting in front of people. You know, it's like we don't, think about your Instagram feed. I looked at mine yesterday. <clears throat> it's a sobering thought as we consider this. It's like we all are affected by this. You know, we don't post the pictures of the bad hair day or the day that I lost my cool every two minutes, you know, because I wasn't doing well. We post the pictures of like eating the great food and the great restaurant and the great place with the fantastic people when my hair is perfect. That and, and then we add to that, we add a snappy little, you know, tag thingy on there with a few funky little hashtags so that we look cool or funny or, you know, something deep and many, you know, whichever the mood takes us on the day. But we're cultivating that. That's a curated perspective. It's not real. It might be part of our whole lives, but we don't tell all the rest of it. Please do not hear me saying, go and live your whole life on social media. That's not what I'm advocating. What I am advocating is that we start to be real with all of who we are, with God, and with the people that are actually present in our real lives, not the 300 followers and acquaintances we may have. You know? The funny thing is, <clears throat> is last night, so I'd written all this, and last night I happened to have the opportunity to observe some young adults in their natural habitat. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you know, th this, is, this is like nothing, it just lets you into the craziness of my head. I have David Attenborough's voice in my head as I'm doing this. You know David Attenborough, the guy that does all the voiceovers for the, like, and now we see the young male, you know, cub, you know. I, it's just like, I'm like, oh, anyway. <laughs> Just, just hear him as I'm doing this. So these young people are sitting around my table and they've taken this very cool photo of themselves during the day. It's very artsy, very edgy, which is the, the curated version of themselves they want to show that day. And, uh, and they're sitting at the table and I was like, there's all these conversations going on and I realised, I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're just trying to think what to say. Because we want it to be sort of, you know, kind of not too, a bit relaxed and a bit fun, but a bit artsy. You know, I'm just like... That's my point, you know? And I'm like, are there going to be hashtags with this? I'm like, no, it's a bit passe, you know, we don't really want to do hashtags. And then we had this, and I'm like, you, are, you guys are not going to believe it. So you can see why I had David Attenborough, you know, like. But, um, but I'm like, I'm speaking on that exact thing tomorrow, you know? I'm not going to embarrass any of them by saying who it was. Because actually, they're not atypical. They're, they are very typical. We do it. I do it. You know? It's just this thing of how do I portray myself in an actual fact. We do it face to face. That's just an extension of what we do all the time. We try and just show our best selves, don't we, to one another. Until we get to the point where we're actually willing to feel we're safe enough that we'll take the risk of being a bit more real. Because it feels risky. And yet, truth, inner truth, living truly, 
God's talking about that. He wants us to start there. How do we even begin to counteract that movement of wanting to sort of put this facade on and hide behind these things? Well, we just turn up, guys. We come to God as simply and as honestly as we can with everything we know of ourselves at this point, and we just turn up. And then we bring it to him, and here's the thing, he is not put off by our shadow hidden selves. We might be, we might be finding that really hard, but he is not. He loves us wholly and completely. You know, we read about grace this morning, we're saying about grace. That's what we receive when we turn up with all our stuff. John Calvin, who was the great Protestant reformer, he said, there is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self. And there is no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. Those two things go together. We find ourselves truly who we are, who he's made us to be as we lean into him. That's where we find ourselves. And as we go towards him, we discover that all we are going to encounter is grace and love and acceptance and empowering and healing so that the things that we want to hide away from and kind of shut away from the world and shut away even from ourselves, he's like, I'll go there with you. And I will bring healing and transformation and wholeness and set you free from the things that just take over and wreck your relationships. That's what he wants to do if we will allow him. So our prayer, our ongoing conversation with God becomes the same as the psalmist who wrote this in Psalm 139, who said, search me, God. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And we do that by doing what Jesus did. This is the advice that he gives his disciples about how to pray. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Because we're always tempted to do that. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can imagine, as you can manage, and then the focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. His grace. We just turn up. We just be as honest as we know how to be, and just have it all there. We can talk to God about this stuff. Do you you ever forget that you can do that? You know, you've just had this awful day, and you've yelled at the kids, and you've had an argument with your husband on the phone. That never happens to us. (laughs) Please don't believe that. You know, it's just been a bad, you know how you have those days, it's just like everything just seems to be not going well, and then you're talking to your friend and you're telling them, you know, he just does not understand me, and my kids are just driving me up the wall, and then they may, that wise friend that we have, may say, have you talked to God about that? And it's like, oh, that's right, I can do that. I can do that. God's into this stuff. We can talk to him about this. And the thing is, as we do, he will gradually reveal the stuff that's hidden away. He will reveal the things that are getting in the way. This isn't about trying, you know, like we look at all those self-help books, they're really not very helpful. Because when it comes to our relationships, we can't fix them on our own. We can't fix ourselves on our own. We need help. Thank the Lord there's help available in him. It's only, yeah, I like that. It's true. 
You know, it's not about helping ourselves. It's not about trying to be better and do better and, you know, drumming it up. What it is, guys, is accepting an invitation into life and leaning and living into that incrementally, day by day, bit by bit, but we will be changed as we do that. And as we do that, we shed everything that God brings up, reveals, tells us to deal with. We shed all the things that sabotage us, that hold us back, that inhibit us, and that rob us of the life that he wants us to have. There's a great book by Peter Scazzaro. He's actually written a couple of great books, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church and and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. If you're interested, they're great books. But this is what he says. The gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. Hang in there. It's not all bad news. But, but that's a big but, but you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope because Jesus lived and died in your place. God will initiate, guide, and take us through the process of healing and wholeness and transformation that we need so that we can be more healthy, so that we can have healthier relationships. And the reality is is we may need to get some help along the way. Some of our areas of brokenness and pain are so big and so multifaceted and so hidden under layers of stuff that we've had to put there to survive that it's actually just too hard to do on our own. It's wisdom then to engage and work with a counsellor or a spiritual director and have people that love you and know you well to be praying for you. It's wisdom to do that. We cannot handle all of the stuff on our own. And the other thing is, it's like sometimes we've got some of those really deep things that we need, you know, like professional help with, And sometimes it's just that our toolbox, our relational toolbox, doesn't quite have the tools we need and we get a bit stuck, you know? So courses like the one that Trish has been running, you know, the parenting toolbox, you know, for teenagers and Nikki and Fiona ran the one for parenting toddlers, you know, they're just brilliant because they're putting tools in your toolbox. They're relational tools. You know, we don't know everything. We just don't. And so it's like, go to the course. Go work with the counsellor. See your spiritual director. Just do whatever it takes, but actually be honest and work through the stuff as God initiates that. So we can sit down sometimes and look at, you know, the things that maybe we are aware of that we need to fix. And uh, and we can think, well, the list is so big, you know, where do I even start? (laughs) We just start by talking to him because one size doesn't fit all. And he will have an, a, you know, a process to take you through over your lifetime that will slowly move you towards health. And he'll be in it with us. It would be awesome, wouldn't it, in some ways, as if we could sort of, like, at some, I don't know how you'd do this, really, but pause life and just fix yourself. It's like, okay, I'm going to just do all the counselling somehow, uh, you know, and all that kind of thing, and just get myself sorted out, and then I will engage in relationships, and I will be this healthy whole person, and it will be amazing. It doesn't work that way, partly because God has this ingenious plan uh, because we seem to be a bit blind. Oftentimes when we look in the mirror, we don't actually see those areas that need to be worked out. 
We don't see our deficits. We don't see some of the things that are deeply ingrained. So God in his mercy puts people in our lives. And as we relate with them, that's when stuff will arise. And we go, oh, there it is. There he uses other people to bring things to our attention. And so then we just need to actually do something about it. We don't make excuses. We don't justify it. We don't blame it on somebody else. It's just like, okay, that's mine. I'm going to own it. I'll go work it out. Some of that might just be me working stuff through with God over time. Some of it might be me working with a counsellor. Depends on what it is. Get wisdom. Talk to some people you trust about some of this stuff if, you get, if you're feeling stuck. But if you want to know, am I maturing in all of this? Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my heart? One way that you can tell is to look at the quality of your relationships. If they are not improving, you have to ask the question why. Because we are the common denominator. Don't make any more excuses because we'll just take it with us into the next place, the next relationship we have. It'll just keep on coming back around. It's much smarter, just go for it. Hard, but smart. Second key, believe the best. Let's get good at believing the best about people. Jesus puts it like this in Luke 6. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Take the initiative, you know, and Matt said it last week, be the friend you would want to have. It's that. It's, it's like one of the things that I would love my friends, and actually I've, I have some friends that have known me for over 30 years, which makes me sound quite old, I know. However, there is richness in that because we have weathered a lot. They have seen me at my best, they have seen me at my worst when I have been struggling with life, when I have not always behaved in a, well, a way that I am proud of, I have not always said the right thing, and they have chosen to love me and forgive me and to speak truth to me, and hung in there with me, and believed the best about me, even when I couldn't see it myself, and they have called that out of me, and, we, and we've done it for each other. It's, it, you know, it's like, we don't have to have loads of those people, but we do want some, you know? And one of the things they do is they believe the best, but that's a choice we make. Have you found that while it's easy to not see the things in ourselves, we are really good at seeing it in other people? You know, it's like, oh my goodness, it's like glaringly obvious that you have a problem with such and such, you know, or you're not very good at this thing when we're completely blind to those things in ourselves, you know? Rudyard Kipling said, you know, I always prefer to believe the best of everybody. It saves so much trouble. Isn't that awesome? I'm like, yeah, I want to be like Rudyard. It's quite a name, isn't it? Here's some marriage advice from 1886. I don't take all advice from that day, but this seems good. Um, believe the best rather than the worst. People have a way of living up or down to your opinion of them. Ooh, that's big. That's really big. Believe the best of one another. That's gonna be a choice that we're gonna have to make over and over and over again. Because, because we are so much often more inclined towards seeing the negative, to seeing the fault, to seeing the weakness. However, we can choose not to do that. We can choose to apply ourselves to this thing. We as individuals, we as families, we as a church, imagine that kind of a church. Isn't that what love looks like? To believe the best? 
to err on the side of believing the best. If someone gets a bit snappy with you, you'd, instead of going, oh, it's like, oh man, they probably, they've probably got a lot going on. Or maybe, you know, they're not, they didn't sleep very well last night. I'll just choose to forgive them. I'll have grace towards them. Instead of, you know. But we have to apply ourselves to this. It won't just happen. So does that mean it's plain sailing for all doing that? We're going to just do so great with each other from this point onwards. Everyone in this room, we're just going to whoo, believe the best. Off we go. No. Because here's this other thing we have to hold in tension with believing the best is also accepting the reality that people do people stuff. It's another profundity for you for this morning. Change your life. People do people stuff because we are all becoming. We are all in process. We are all being transformed. So we are going to have days where we said the thing that the minute it was out of our mouths, we regretted it, but we couldn't take it back. We are going to accidentally hurt one another because you know what, I truly believe that most of the time, that for most of us, we don't sit there plotting about how we can hurt you know, our friend or let down our husband or disappoint our kids. You know, but it happens because we're just human. We make mistakes. We're going to get it wrong, guys. But we can commit to accepting that reality and choosing to believe the best and extending grace to one another. Peter Scazzaro again, this is what he says, a church committed to emotional health is a messy place. Doesn't that sound exciting? Skeletons come out of the closet and we face problems and tensions honestly and directly rather than ignore them and hoping or pretending they will somehow go away. They don't go away. All that happens with anything that we don't deal with that comes up between me and my friend, all that will do is put something in the way. And then, there'll be, and then now that's colouring my perspective. So every interaction I now have with that friend is filtered through this. And so the next little thing that I filter through that, there's another thing. And all that happens over time as this keeps happening is all it does is just create distance. It doesn't create those, those you know, healthy, connected relationships that we long for. So in the midst of the messy then, how can we live? Paul gives this advice to the church in Corinth. He writes this. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes believes all things, looking for the best in each other, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times and endures all things without weakening. That's how we can choose to live. God will empower us to, to live that way if we ask him to help us with it. And the realities of these messy relationships means that we get to practice this third key often, and that is forgiveness we're going to need to learn how to forgive. If we haven't already, we're going to have to learn it. Forgiveness is actually talked about loads in the Bible because it is actually vital for our own health and well-being as well as the health and well-being of every relationship we have. Here's what, uh, so Paul was one of the apostles. He was one of the followers of Jesus and he wrote heaps of letters to all these new churches that he helped to start all over the known world at the time. And he, so this is from some of his letters. So to the church in Colossae, he said this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
Ephesians, he sent a letter to the church in Ephesus. He said this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. The starting point of all of this is that we are all on the receiving end of God's forgiveness. We have no right to withhold that from anybody else because we're all the same. We're all sinners. We all screw up. We all are going to let each other down and we're all accidentally going to hurt each other. So we're all going to be in need of this at times as well. This is what Jesus says uh, in in the book of Matthew and uh, Eugene Peterson translates it this way. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him, work it out between the two of you. Isn't that shocking? This is going to happen in the church. It's even going to happen in this church. It has happened in this church. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to let each other down. And I can guarantee that nine times out of ten, if not 100% of the time, it's not on purpose. What are we going to do with that? Well, here's what we need to be committed to. What we're called to be committed to is to forgiving one another, is to working this stuff out with each other, not walking away. It is harder to stay and it is harder to actually work through this stuff. However, the richness, the strength of the relationship is better on the other side of this stuff if you work it through than it is just by avoiding it. The problem with avoiding, I mean, people leave churches all the time over this stuff. They leave marriages over this sort of stuff. They leave business partnerships. They leave jobs over this stuff. When relational stuff kind of crops up and they're like, it's too hard, it's too painful, I don't want to look at it. It's just easier to walk away. Well, what happens then? We take ourselves to the next thing. So whatever it was that we contributed to that initial dislocation with that person, we never address. And now we've got an added layer of bruising and pain that we take with us into our next sort of relationships. So we never actually address any of the things that God is actually allowing to come up so that we will pay attention to this stuff because he wants us to be great at this. It just takes, it's just hard at times. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Jesus models this for us. You know, um, when Jesus got to the end of his life, he'd been hanging out with these 12 guys in particular that were like his best friends, and three of them in particular were really tight. And, uh, and right at, towards the end of his life, he got arrested and taken to trial. Do you know what his buddies did? They bailed. <coughs> Peter, who was one of his best friends, denied knowing him three times on the night that he was arrested and being tortured. He never got to reconcile that before Jesus died on the cross because he ran away. Like when people challenged him, aren't you one of Jesus' mates? He was like, no, nah, don't know him and ended up just like taking off. He deserted. He was des- Jesus was deserted by everybody. And what's his response? He forgave them. First of all, he, gave, he forgave them on the cross as he's hanging there. He says, Father, forgive them. Now, that's a collective, them, everybody, all humanity. But it's also particular. For each one of the people that knew him, that knew that they'd bailed on him, Father, forgive them. And then when he came back to life, when he was resurrected, he spent about 40 days, was it 40 days? 
Yes, hanging out with people. He'd just like arrive, you know, turn up at a party. Party got way better after he got there. Um, but there was this one instance where a bunch of the guys were out on the boat, they were fishing, uh, and they were coming near to shore and they saw someone on the shore and then they realised, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And Pete, it's in the book of John, John 21, and, uh, and he describes how Peter's response as he climbs, he throws off his clothes, jumps off the boat, swims to the shore just to get there as fast as he can. And what do they find? Because they eventually, they come a little more calmly in, anchor the boat, go in, and, uh, and Jesus has prepared a meal for them. He's just wanting to hang out with his friends. And after the meal, he takes Peter away and has a quiet chat with him. And John follows. That's the only reason we know about that conversation, because John tells us about it. And in that conversation, Jesus reconciles them to one another and restores Peter in their relationship. That wasn't just for Jesus' sake. In fact, it probably wasn't for Jesus' sake. But it was massively for Peter's to be on the receiving end of forgiveness. But it's costly, you know, it's, it's awkward, it's hard. Peter Scazzaro again says this, forgiveness is not a quick process. The process of forgiveness always involves grieving before letting go. We are gonna feel this stuff. It is gonna hurt. There will be grief around it. It is not cheap and it's not quick, often. There's grieving before letting go, whether you are the person giving forgiveness or asking for it. It can be messy, it can be hard, but it's worth it. And we're called to commit to working this out with one another. And God will show us the way to do this if we're just brave enough to ask him to listen and then to do what he says. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, he says this, regarding life together and getting along with each other, you don't need me to tell you what to do. You're God taught in these matters. His confidence is, is that God will teach us how to do this stuff. God will teach us how to be great friends. Just love one another, he says. Just love one another. Back to that foundational truth. You're already good at it. You've got friends all over the province of Macedonia. They're evidence of that. Just keep it up and get better and better at it. Just keep it up. Love one another. Get better and better at it. Now, I, I think that that's God's encouragement for us today. As, as we commit to like working with our own stuff, to believing the best of one another, to practice forgiveness with each other, I think that he would say, you know, you're God taught in this. Just keep doing that. Keep loving each other. Coast Vineyard, keep it up. Just get better and better at it. You know, we, we constantly hear back from people that come and visit the church and often stay at the church. It's like, man, this is like such a friendly church. It's like people are so warm, they're so welcoming, they're so giving. You know, it's just this, we love this. this is, isn't that part of why we have chosen, for those of us who have chosen to stay, it's what we love. It's the quality of relationships that we have. It's just, I, you know, I'm not, so I'm not saying that doing this message thinking, man, we're bad We've got to get way better. I've got to like, tell these people how to do this stuff. That's not the case. I think actually that we're, we're pretty great. 
I don't hear, like Matt and I, we don't hear all these stories of people bickering and fighting and having a go at each other and breaking friendships, you know, and all this stuff. It's just like, that's just not a thing here. Thank the Lord. So let's do everything we can to protect that and grow in it as individuals and for us as a church. We get to demonstrate to the Hibiscus Coast and beyond for anyone who walks in these doors or encounters any one of us anywhere in our lives that we get to do relationships God's way. That is the remedy to doing it out of our brokenness, is to do things God's way and to show a whole different story of what relationships can be like because we're being God-taught. That's what we get to do and get to live into. So what's God's invitation to you today, for each one of us, individually? As we're sitting here, as we're thinking about this, what key to health seems to be the thing that God's catching our attention with? What is it that he would want us to start practicing? Maybe it's that whole thing of like there's something that he's kind of just put in front of us as we've been sitting here today. So you need to attend to that. You need to stop making excuses about that thing. And I'll show you how. Or it could be that there's a relationship that we're aware of that is a bit broken and it is a bit fractured. And his nudge to you today is to actually do your part in taking the initiative to restore that. And that might involve forgiveness, where you ask for it and or receive it. But this isn't a, this isn't a passive thing. We don't get these relationships by just going, Lord, I want to be a good friend, I want to be a great wife. Amen. You know, it's just not, it's, it's, we have to apply ourselves to this. Why don't we stand? I just want to invite the Holy Spirit. He's already here, but I'm just going to invite him to just, just to help us to hear him, to help us to notice him for each one of us so that we can actually take a hold of something to actually do with as we leave today. And then I'd love it if we would have an opportunity to pray for each other. Because <clears throat> all of us have been hurt. All of us have been on the receiving end of things that have been bruising and hurtful. Whether the other person meant it or not. Sometimes they meant it. That's hard. And it leaves, it leaves its marks. And it would be great to be able to pray for one another as friends. That we stand alongside one another and we cheer each other on and we ask for God's best for each other. Wouldn't that be good? So I won't pray. Lord God, hmm. we sang this morning that Jesus, only your love can make us whole. And it's true. Only your love can make us whole. And so Lord, we come as best we know how, as simply and as honestly as we know how, Lord, we come to you this morning. And we invite your Holy Spirit to just start to show us, to reveal to us what it is you would like to do in us. What's that nudge that you're giving us? What is it, that thing that you want us to pay attention to? Lord, just help us to quiet our hearts and quiet our minds so that we notice. 